Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast. If you're hearing this, then you are not on our private members-only podcast feed where we have our public episodes like this one, but tons more amazing mental wellness content, including our therapist circles, on-the-go articles, parent-focused meditations, and special episodes you won't want to miss. So head on over to yescollective.co, become a supporting member, and we'll get you your own private podcast feed today. Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast hosted by me, Justin Wilford, and Yes Collective co-CEO and licensed therapist extraordinaire, Jenny Walters. All January long here at the Yes Collective, we're working on new beginnings, fresh starts, and new year renewals. For us, this means setting aside time to step back and think about what do we really want to focus on? What do we really want to commit to, spend our time on? In considering these questions, I thought about Chris Gray, authentic relating trainer, coach, and conscious leadership consultant. Chris has many perspectives on new beginnings. He worked in Silicon Valley at one of the biggest names in tech and then left it all to start fresh as an authentic relationship trainer and coach. And today he helps companies make fresh starts as emotionally healthy workplaces. Today, we dig into Chris's story, how he made his fresh starts and how he helps companies and people around the world slow down and rethink how they relate to each other and themselves. If you care about making a real, authentic, fresh start, then you're going to love this episode with the amazing and insightful Christopher Gray. In the spirit of authentic relating, I just want to <laughs> reveal for the listeners, our or my experience of what just happened. So we were we are ten minutes late rolling into this, and that we had multiple technical uh, glitches. And throughout this, though, I got to share with Chris some of the parts inside of me that were activated and are still a little activated, but that's what's happening for me. So let's just go around and just see how everybody's doing today. Jenny, I'll go with you next. Uh, <laughs> I'm just grateful that I genuinely feel compelled to laugh at the like repeated technical issues that I have the last, the last like three podcast recordings. And I'm just glad to be in a place in my life where I can laugh. And I also, it makes me grateful for you, Justin, because I have a colleague who I am not scared. I'm going to, you know, the the young part of me growing up, you know, it's like afraid I'm going to get criticized and judged and in trouble. And all. it's like, I don't, she's not here right now, or she's not activated because I know that you're a safe <laughs> person when there's <laughs> oh, things going wrong and mistakes. I'm grateful for that. that. So yeah. I'm actually having a great time, even though everything went wrong. So, and yeah. I'm... I'm Beautiful. glad to meet Chris too. So. Beautiful. Chris. <laughs> Seems like it's been going right to me. <laughs> but, you know, before I joined, I had a little bit of nerves. This is a strange, unfamiliar setup for me, uh, this experience. Uh, and so because of these technical glitches, I just noticed myself relaxing. It was a, a soft entry into the experience and really getting to feel both of your, you know, humanity expressed in the reactions. It feels like we're in a warm hot tub now. So yeah. I don't think I could have gone better, really. 
Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, so Mercury is not in retrograde. This was meant to, yeah, this is all. This Do is this all every Mer- time. Yeah. <laughs> Mercury's in retrograde. Yeah. Retrograde. Boom. But I'm bump. I'll be here all week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Oh, my gosh. We have so much to dig into today with Christopher Gray. But before we begin, I do want to just touch on something that I think will need a little uh, definition for the audience, because we are going to discuss authentic relating eventually. After this, we're going to get into uh, Chris's journey, and we're going to talk about fresh starts and new beginnings. Oh, but Chris, could you just give us your elevator pitch definition of authentic relating? Because it's going to come up. It all it actually already has come up. Yeah, I think of it as two things. One is a type of relational meditation. So even now, I'm slowing down to tap into what is it like for me to be with the two of you. Uh, so there's a, a kind of meditative quality to it. And then the other way I think of it is um, daring to reveal what it's like for me to be with both of you in this moment while being open to receiving from you what it's like for you to be with me. That's probably the simplest way I could describe it. I think connection tends to be encouraged if I'm more welcoming and less rejecting of what's here. And if I notice that I'm rejecting what's here, if I'm welcoming it, like, oh, wow, like I'm really rejecting this, tends to open up connection. If I let you know what's happening in me, there's more of me to connect with. I'm more connectable. And I, if I think I know something about you, if I question my assumption and get curious about it, I can, like, relieve myself of the burden of thinking I know anything and discover what's really happening. So there's some fundamental practices to being with someone in the present moment and really welcoming what we discover in service of greater connection and in service of greater expression and inclusion of more of us than we might normally uh, reveal. Mm. So let me pause there. I'm curious, what is it like to, to hear this? Yeah, Jenny, I would love to hear from you. Well, I found myself sort of uh, having a co-regulating moment. I just find myself slowing down as well. And also, you're very small on my little phone screen. So I'm like trying to see you and 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 hear your voice. And, and just um, I, it just felt like an invitation to just uh, really listen and um, be present. So I, I, I can completely feel the the energy of the meditative um, aspect that you're talking about. And Chris, having known you from one authentic relating training series that, or no, actually a few, I know that it is that, well, at least for me, what you're talking about when I, when I, when I hear you share that, I feel inside a big yes, a big opening. And then what comes next is, I don't know how to do that. Like, like I've, I've got, I've got parts, I've got stuff coming in. I'm like racing. And then I relax back and it's like, well, I, I've, I've learned a little bit about how to do this. Cause I've like, Chris has taught me, um, in some of the, the, I I've taken actually set, like, I, I think I've taken about 
four or five authentic relating training courses. Um, and so, but I'm just having a recognition of how much this is a skill. Like this is not something that I was, well, maybe I was born with the, I mean, I, I, I of course was born with the capacity to do it because I can do it, but I certainly did not grow up in a social environment that encouraged this. And in fact, I grew up in a social environment that pushed me in the opposite direction. So I'm, so that's, that's all, that's all that's happening for me right now. Yeah. I'm feeling a lot of love for this, this part that I hear that's like the, but how do I do this? The how do I do this part? And I'm imagining that I might be operating from time to time. And yeah, like I'm really kind of want to hug that. But how do you do this part? <laughs> so like the impact on me is more warmth. So I have another part coming in here that, well, I have a part that I expressed earlier that wants to do things right, that wants a gold star, that wants to get a hundred percent on the test. And so this part is also the part that uh, organizes the podcast and writes the questions. And so I want to honor this part by bringing in this idea of how, or the question of how this meditative social, the social meditative practice is connected to emotional health or is itself an emotional health practice. So I can imagine uh, on first glance, it sounds very calming. It sounds very soothing. Um, so there's, there's this grounding regulating aspect, but I'm wondering if there's more there around just mental and emotional health that, that when, that when we can really learn these skills and put them into action, that there's even more work going on here. Well, I could tell you growing up, I was allowed to have one emotion and that emotion was happy. So as long as I was happy then everything was cool. So I got happy really quick and I stayed happy until I was 25. Happy, happy, happy. Happy. Through gritted teeth, happy. And then I started to get into some work and get some help and started to discover that I was a lot of things, but I never really had the experience of... um I was so afraid to express the whole rainbow of emotions because I was convinced that the other person would leave. Mm. So I was living in this really narrow band of emotion out of fear of uh, what abandonment or being rejected. And so the first time I did any authentic relating, it was this type of practice where a group of people get in a circle and there's a kind of a leader with the questions like you, like you're doing, Justin. And everybody focuses on one person and just gives them their presence and is curious about what's happening. No fixing, changing, coaching, therapizing, adjusting, improving, just being with. And so when I experienced this, I was actually at an Enneagram conference. And for some reason, they had this mixed in. I didn't know. And it seemed like an anomaly. So I was the one getting the attention. I volunteered to get the attention. So everything got a little still. And uh, the person said, well, what's it like to be you sitting here with us? And I said, I'm cranky and I don't want to get to know any of you. And they said, oh, yeah, what's it like to be cranky with us? Nobody turned away. 
they may have even smiled more like you're doing. And I think for me, it was the first time I felt like I was allowed to be how I actually was. And so when I, when I remember this experience, I can feel the emotion of that moment, especially if it was um, anger, cranky, displeased, unhappy, anything in that spectrum. So I never did much with the Enneagram after that, to be honest with you. I went directly <laughs> into this and I didn't yeah. stop. And that was probably what, eight years ago now. And, oh. you know, I've been in therapy and I've been in recovery, 12-step recovery, but that was a profound experience to me. So to answer your question about emotional health, I think what's healthy about it for me is it's a way for me to be with everything that's here to have the experience and to st and stay with and when i myself so it's not uh different so much different than ifs in that way a matter of fact i would consider ifs internal authentic relating yeah and the practice of it is now just external so i can get together with people and we can do this specific practice i can be this way with the person at the checkout stand doesn't really require anything from anyone else, but it sure is nice to sometimes have experiences with people who are also, you know, up on the, you know, the practices. I have a question, Chris, about your experience. With, thank you for sharing that profound shift. I'm wondering what part of it being a group of people and a group that were not therapists do you think played into that being kind of a transformational moment of really being heard, um, if at if, if at all? Hmm. I think that's a really astute question. I appreciate that question, Jenny. Sure. Yeah, I think I think my expectation is that in a therapy session, that's what happens. I mean, if the therapist said, "Get happy," I mean, there might be like you know, confrontational therapy methods that do that. But I would be very surprised. But yeah, I think the context was normal everyday people sitting in a circle, having agreed to practice really two things, welcoming what's here and assuming nothing. That's it. Uh, and that's pushing back on someone who wasn't paid to be with me as I push back. Yeah, that had a different quality. Yeah. I could imagine there's a there's a power dynamic in therapy that we try to speak to but but also an expectation, a role, a persona, you know, those kinds of things that I could imagine sort of are counter to authentic relating in some ways. Not that they can't be named and and worked through therapeutically, but as you described that moment, I could just imagine the power of being with people like you said that aren't paid to mirror and reflect you know um that aren't paid to uh, that isn't part of their training they're just in their humanity and but their humanity is in this and it becomes this very reparative experience so that's really that's really cool yeah and and sometimes it's not all like peaches and love sometimes a person will say like wow hearing that i i I'm starting to feel disgust and I'm, I'm like, 
curious about why this is coming up in me, this strong reaction. What's it like to you for you to hear me say this? So there's a way to share the truth about my experience that might not be lovey-dovey. It could be, right. wow, I'm really constricting. I'm getting, so, I had a flash of anger when I heard that. I notice I'm angry. And, but you can, I can kind of hold it up like, I notice I'm angry. Like, let's look at the anger together. What's it like for you to hear me say this? Uh, so it's, it invites everything. Well, it sounds like that invites differentiation, right? Where we can be different, and but yet we can still be connected, which is such a, such a, it's such an uncomfortable thing when you've not had any modeling or teaching of that. It's so uncomfortable, but it is so liberatory. It's so liberating when you actually get to feel it of like, oh, this person's feeling disgust and I am okay. You know, the, and I feel differently and we can still be here with each other. So it seems like such a wonderful invitation for that to get to experiment with that and have a lived experience together. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I get excited when you say that. I would almost say that there is no connection without differentiation. Without the differentiation, it's not connection. It's enmeshment or Mm -hmm. something. It's like even, you know, like when people do ballroom dancing, they come together. But if the person who's following isn't pushing back a little bit, there's no dance. And if they push back too much, it goes this way. So each person has to push a little bit and have a boundary for contact to occur. So it's like, that's what I love about it. The more my uniqueness is expressed, the more contact double. It's almost like the more connection possible, more of me, more of you, more of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, this mixes so well with your statement about IFS, internal family systems, being an internal form of authentic relating. Um, Because in internal family systems, parts work, which we've talked about on the podcast, and we'll talk about again, there's this phenomenon of blending, right? We can be blended with parts and then we're not in connection with these parts. There's just the, as you said, some enmeshment, there's something else, but it's not connection. And we can feel inside when, when we get that space, that differentiation, and then we make connection with a part and it has a totally different quality. And, and, um, and that's a hallmark of emotional health, at least for me. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about IFS for, for quite a while, but I, I, I see it so similar. Like, okay, here's an angry part. I can turn and look at it. How do I feel towards this part? Any version of loving, curious, you know, it's being with, welcoming what is, getting curious. What's it like for you, angry part? Mm-hmm. And you know, the angry part's like, I'm pissed at you. I'm angry at you. That's and, right. Uh, that makes sense. Makes sense. Then this leads to one question that came up actually in i i'm sorry i just had this flash in my days in academia uh at academic conferences it was the worst thing for somebody to come up to the microphone after your talk and say this is more of a comment than a question um but, so, <laughs> <laughs> but uh when you talked so I, what struck me is this pivotal moment you express that you're cranky And this was, you know, leads to eight years of this deep, authentic relating work where you are opening, consistently opening space inside to feel whatever's here and then express this as well. And 
you talked about how, you know, you grew up in a context where it was only okay to feel one thing. And what I was hearing there, and this is an assumption, is that because you were forced to feel that one thing, you didn't even really feel. It's not that you really felt happy. It was something different than real, real happiness. I guess where I'm going with this is that as you have been able to open up and feel the 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 more challenging, more difficult, more unacceptable emotions that on the other hand, have you experienced that there's been this whole range of these emotions that might sometimes be uh, categorized as happy, um, this kind of more joy, more connection? I think you're right. You know, I wasn't happy. I was scared with a fake smile on my face, but I didn't know. But what I was, it was in fear. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I'd like to make it, it seems like it should be linear. I'm not sure that it is, but I don't know. When we got on the call and there was all that technical difficulty, I was filled with like a warm joy. Uh, I wouldn't call it happy, but it was this internal, like, I don't know, tender, love, joy-ish sort of thing. Just occurred so it's like subtleties like that and more and more of that's available to me more and more of the mix between different emotions like what's the mix like you know more uh like things coexisting at the same time loss and excitement Mm. more range more capacity more more range yes yeah that has that has been my experience yeah that like we we can't just shut down some emotions that we end up shutting them all down and then uh, as we open up then yeah we get that range yeah and i think authentic relating is such a powerful set of tools and skills for opening up that range. And so we're going to talk more about this, but the theme of this month in the Yes Collective is new beginnings, fresh starts, renewals. And I know a little bit about your story. And so I thought, oh, this is just a great excuse just to have Chris on the show. And I would love to hear about your fresh start. I mean, we already heard about like about a really important one at this Enneagram workshop, but I would love to hear about your move out of working for one of the biggest uh, tech names in Silicon Valley, and then moving into this new space of being an authentic relationship trainer, a coach, a consultant. How did this journey begin? What is it like? I'm just checking in on Jenny. How are you doing, Jenny? <laughs> I'm just engrossed. <laughs> I was excited for this question. I, I love, I'm excited to hear your story. Okay. Yeah, wanted to make sure I heard heard your voice in here. Yeah, thank you. Thank um, you. I think for me, like I would say, in my adolescence and teens, I look back at it as a brutal time, just full of fear and self hatred. This is what I'm remembering back to that time. And then for me, like the first major transition probably in my later teens. And I started, uh, I had, uh, I started drinking, started drinking alcohol. And for me, that was the best thing that ever happened at 16. And that transition was like from a scared, 
hating person to like some sort of like social, you know, this is what it was in my head, probably not to the people around me, but you know, like social liberated, uninhibited. And that was like this big liberation and I never forget it. And, uh, you know, over time it became more of a, a, a jail than a liberation, you know, but in the beginning, that was like a first major transition. And then when in my twenties, when that didn't work anymore and I, you know, I stopped that, you know, I was 26 and it was, uh, I was, I had no idea how to function in the world. You know, like how to get along at all. I mean, it was just raw. So a lot of my adult life has been kind of learning again, like anew from my mid-20s. What's it like to walk around the block, go to the grocery store, connect with people, show up in a work environment, have a relationship, um, be physically intimate. And so this has been a big driver for me underneath everything. And that is like more exposure to what's really happening on me and a desire to suffer less and live more. And coming out of where I came out of, I was like, I came out of a family where it was kind of like preordained that we would be failures. So when I started working, I was like, I was so committed to being a success in the corporate world, like absolutely committed. And I worked like crazy until I was about 32. And I got to the level in the organization then that looked like a success. It was at my benchmark for success. I proved it. I proved I could do it to my dad, really. And then I, I realized, oh my God, like I don't want to be my boss. I was kind of done, you know, at, at 32. Um, and so I left. And I think for me, what ensued since then is still the case is that I like to try new things. I like to always be learning. I like to be in environments where I feel like I have some fluidity and being creative. and. I don't really want to do anything that I already know how to do. And so for the, you know, I'm in my fifties now. And for the, for most of those years, I did consulting and then other things, consulting and other things work really hard and then have some sort of experience somewhere else. And that really worked well for me. Um, and then, you know, in the recent history of probably around 2010, I joined a tech startup. I mean, my career's in tech. And I love this small company. It was great. Four years did that. After that, got re recruited by Facebook. And at the time, I was like, whoa, like I can't say no to working at Facebook. You know, this is amazing. And I took that job and it was really like, it wasn't a good fit for me for a lot of reasons. I'm a little hesitant to share many details about that in this format, but I'll say that. Um, the environment wasn't good for my nervous system. Some people thrived. So it was more of a bad match. And uh, I attempted to resign after six months. I knew it. Like, you can file this under, I already knew it. Why did I stay there? Bucket. And then I kind of like let myself get convinced to stay. And I did for two years. And at the end of it, I was just limping along. You could probably hit me with a baseball bat and I wouldn't feel it. It just was a bad, bad thing for me. And then I left and I really spent four years just kind of recovering from that. Um, and, you know, during that time, I got really into authentic relating and really into coaching. You know, I got certified in a certain coaching discipline 
over the years. And it was a period of, of just like, I don't know, healing or kind of bruised. And I'm really not putting this on any particular company. It's like I, you know, I kept myself in a situation I shouldn't have. And I got just into authentic relating. It was a great time for that. And I loved it. My career was in product management, which if you don't know what that is, it's like a tech, typical tech job, sort of figuring out what people want. And uh, and then, you know, after about four years, I got a call from a friend who I used to work with and said, hey, I took over the people development department, the leadership development department for this company. Do you want to come and work with us? And I said, uh, yeah, that sounds good. I really liked the person. I trusted the person. And I wanted to do more of what we're talking about here in the work environment because I've suffered so much, largely self-inflicted suffering, but it has been an environment of suffering for me. So I went back and now I'm working in the people development function and I'm like a technical person, a product person. So it's been a big transition coming into this and I couldn't be more engaged because everywhere I look in the company, there are humans and all the humans are under pressure. Humans pressure equals interesting to me. Uh, and that's kind of where I am. So thank you for sharing. And I love hearing about circuitous life paths because I think it's really normalizing for those of us that have circuitous life paths. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very easy in this world and culture, I think it's, I'm hoping it's becoming more easy, uh, or sorry, less easy, but it's um, this pressure to have one thing and have a straight line to it. And for a lot of us, that's just not in the, in the cards or in the stars or in our heart or in our spirit. And so I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, My question, I'm just curious how this shows up, how, how in a work environment in, in the corporate world, how do you do this? How do you bring this in and and facilitate it, invite people? How, what does it look like? What's it sound like? I think it's a challenge. Um, I've done this work, you know, one-on-one. I've done it through public courses. I've done it in prisons. I've done it with people who just got out of prison. And the corporate world is, a, I would say, is the, might be the toughest one in my estimation. And I believe it's because the stakes are so high, the perceived stakes are so high, and there's so much pressure. And historically, it's not an environment where you come, I would say it's not a context where you come in and would expect to be like we've been being together, perhaps, you know, to generalize it. So it's a big contextual shift. The way I work with it are a couple of things. Do the best I can to be with each person I'm connecting with in the hallway, just in the life uh, with presence. Sometimes I'm able to, sometimes I'm not. So be the stuff. The other is to meet people where they at, where they're at. I like I, I make mistakes all the time. I just try to iterate. And one mistake is like I've I've been so used to facilitating in this way. That when I started, I would facilitate and just like boom, in this deep presence place, and twitch in, and they're like, you know, it's such a shock to the system. So I've gotten much better at 
which is such a co- part of coaching discipline and likely therapy as well, is seeing meeting people where they are, where they would expect to be in these different settings. And then if I can bring it just a little bit more awareness of what's happening in the present moment, just a little bit more revealed, just a little bit more welcoming, then I think a little bit is good. Yeah, just yeah. a little. Yeah, yeah, the, the steps. And I'm wondering if there is anything that you see now in the corporate world that you didn't notice at all before, before your authentic relating journey. And now that you're back in it, that is just obvious to you that, oh, like here, here's this thing I never saw before, but now I see it. You know, the, the environment stays, in my experience, it's like some companies, I work at a company now that is more open to this sort of thing culturally. So this is nice. It's like getting ahead a bit. But I see less difference in the environment, actually. The biggest difference is seeing how much I'm participating in generating my consistent misery. And seeing how much it's me that is not creating an opening for the connection that I'd rather have. So much more awareness of my participation in the dynamics. The dynamics of the dynamics. There's like getting stuff done, high stakes, quick timelines, got to work together, you know, pressure. That seems to be common, at least in my field in, in tech, that's common. But yeah, I, I show up a little differently and and I'm also able to listen into what people care about most. Where before I was listening to their words and now I'm able to listen to what might they be caring about underneath the words or what might their fear be. And a lot of that stuff is very humanizing. Yeah, so I stand a better chance of having my shoulders relaxed. I guess that's the short version. Environment's still intense. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is the the tension between bringing authentic relating slash emotional health um, into the workplace, the tension between these, these practices and the corporate environment. One is that there's so much pressure. I've heard this word pressure. I'm curious, uh, what other, what other tensions are you, are you seeing? Or is it just that, as you said, the stakes are so high or the perceived stakes are so high, the pressure is so high, everybody comes in and it's just a pressure cooker. Are there, are there other dynamics that cause a tension between authentic relating, emotional health practices, and the corporate world, the corporate environment? I think there's a belief that we have to change the words or use different words that will be more corporately corporately palatable. Um, I don't find that to be the case, but I think that's an assumption. I think less has to be changed maybe than we think it has to be changed. Mm. I think what's helpful is having people who support this type of culture be people who've worked in corporate world. There's a lot of, I'd say, practitioners and coaches who are really good at the stuff, but maybe not have 
haven't walked a mile in the shoes of what it's like to show up and have to execute every Friday and have a bunch of tasks that you have to deliver and coordinate action with these people while the quarter's coming to a close and there's this new thing on the horizon and still this stuff. I think having that perspective, both perspectives helps. I don't know what's with me now is like a gentleness and not landing this stuff down the corporation, but a real gentleness and and slowly being with people in a way that's that's non-rejecting and confronting, but without rejecting things like this. I also think that when a company's small, it's much easier to set up a culture where this is the way the culture works. 20, 100, maybe even 150 people where the leaders are embodying this way. If the leaders are this way, then people will, it's like a, it sets up a structure, an infrastructure of just being this way. But when you start to scale to 500, 1,000, 2,000, 10,000, 100,000, then I think the external culture takes on a lot more weight, like center of gravity. And this thing gets harder and harder. Now, there are plenty of people who work on scaling culture and how it would have a lot to say about that. Um, I think it's a bit of a challenge. Yeah, that's I keep thinking about power dynamics and power with instead of power over and how that intersects with the fact that they're real. There is power that someone has the power to terminate your position or your job or not what that feels like on both sides as someone who manages people. um, I can just really easily feel into the tension of wanting, really wanting my team to like me and also having to keep my eye on things that aren't their responsibility to be thinking about that require me to sometimes say no or to, you know, have a boundary or to, um, have to talk about something difficult or tricky and work through it. And, um, and knowing that a lot of times I'm not relating authentically. Like I, you know, I, I know that that's, if I were to be, if I were to be relating authentically, I think um, there's a fear that I would be maybe handing something to them that isn't theirs to take care of in me, Mm. you know, because I am the leader. And so I can just imagine the complexity of of and it kind of goes back to that first question I had about your experience with the group, you know, and everyone kind of being on the same playing field. So I don't know if I it's more it's more a comment than a question, Justin. Um, I'm not sure what my question is. I just am really feeling into the just thinking in my my mind is like oh just the complexity of that. So I don't know if you have any anything to to share about that or how it shows up for you. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you're pointing towards this. I think when I say authentic, we haven't even defined authentic. But in my world, authentic doesn't mean I am like vomiting out everything that's like happening to me in the moment. Like when I'm in a role of a leader, I have there's certain a context set and a larger context being served by placing myself in this role. One of, so one of the great moves in authentic relating is I don't have to reveal all the stuff but I can reveal how I'm feeling about the the situation without getting into the stuff. And that Mm -hmm. might look like, this is tough for me too. But I notice I'm a little nervous sharing this with you. And I also notice that I'm very committed to 
our larger success. I'm kind of feeling torn between both of these. And this is what I'm able to reveal now or able to share now. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we made an agreement of a certain level of performance. Can I check in with you on that? And if we don't do it, it's established that, you know, these are conditions of continued employment. You know, it doesn't feel, doesn't feel good to me. Let's, let's have a, a, an open and clear discussion about it. So I think there's ways to be like in the present moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know. People know the difference. I think people know the difference when they hear something real and when they hear something scripted. Yeah. And so just a little drop of realness, it, 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 it's amplified in that environment. Yeah, that's so clarifying. That's great. And so it's so validating to hear that. And just I'm curious if you ever have to just with the leaders that you work with, just help them with language. I mean, just that, you know, so much of what you're saying is getting clear about what's happening. I love what you said about um we don't have to share everything that's happening, but just how we're feeling about everything that's happening, you know, what, how we're experiencing it. And that just seems like um, such an, just about such a valuable tool for a leader to have access to I mean, just a game changer. And I'm sure it feels so much different. I mean, I know I've been on the receiving end of being an employee and just no one's ever spoken to me like that. I can't imagine what that would have been like. Mm. Yeah. Mm. People feel it. People could feel yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is something to, to manage. So like, it's not like that power dynamic doesn't exist. Does not like the manager doesn't have a certain role. Right. Yeah. It's all in there. It's all. It reminds me of um, when we, when we in therapy, when we work with people who really have a hard time holding two difficult truths at once, you know, and what we often say is, you know, I really feel I validate, you know, I really, can. You know, I really feel so much compassion for the part of you that feels that way. I really can understand why you feel that way. And the, and here's the truth. And the truth is, you know, dot, dot, here's the hard thing. You know, can we hold both of those at the same time? And so, um, yeah, just being able to validate what's true for you, what's true for them. And then also speaking of, you know, the truth of the situation, which may not mm-hmm. feel great, you know, when you're in a, when you're in a work situation. I don't think so. I, yeah, there's, there's something about the way you're sharing it, Jenny, which is like owning the reality and sharing the reality in this way might be hard to get in the nervous system of folks, but ultimately the certainty, like the naming what's real provides more certainty, which is less destabilizing than ambiguity. Mm-hmm. I think it's always a relief to hear the truth, even when it's not what you want to hear. I mean, it just is orienting. It's, you know, it's the opposite of gaslighting, which we know is crazy making. I mean, it's just, there is always, I think, a tinge of relief in it somewhere for most, for, 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 for humans. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think yeah, so. especially when it's shared with tact, you know, <laughs> with love. Yeah. Yeah. The only the only thing that I wanted to add was this discussion that you're having reminds me of a different type of leadership role and uh, some some questions and issues that I was having around being authentic in the context of being a parent and 
uh, we had Ryle Castano, whom uh, Chris knows well, on the podcast for episode 12, and we're going to have him back on in February. Uh, but in the first, in episode 12, it was about parenting. And one of the issues, like, you know, as a parent, uh, there are some things you just, uh, it's not appropriate to share with your kid that it might be totally authentic. <laughs> it might be totally real. I mean, it's exactly what you talked about, Chris. You know, can I just drop back as a parent and get to a place where where what is real and authentic feel is totally okay to share? It could just be, I'm not sure what to say right now. I'm so committed to our relationship. I love you so much. I'm not sure how to share this right now, but I know that I'm really committed to this. And and so it was it was it was this move of like, oh yeah, like there there is essential there's there's some ground here that is like truly 100% real and authentic that that truly captures everything. It doesn't elide any, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know what to say right now. I'm not sure how to proceed. I really care about this relationship. I love you deeply. If I can just get there, then that will, I, it, that will open something. Yeah. That reminds me of, I had a mentor when I was in training to be a therapist, when she gave me permission to, in the middle of a session, say, I'm trying to find the words. You know, <laughs> or, or, you know, I don't, I don't know, but I'd really like to get back on to you on that. Like, just to have the permission to say, I have no idea right now. <laughs> and to name <laughs> and that it, even, even like, yeah. And so this, this, this feeling like I is like, I'm afraid and I'm confused, you know, just to share that. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, it really does open things up. And I think it also is because it does name something very true that's happening right, right there. I would say that you did that in this podcast, Justin. And that, and that may have been before we were recording, but when I first jumped on, we were having all the technical problems. And then you just paused and you said, this is what's happening for me. And then you shared it and it was like, you held it here. And I could sense it, of course. But you shared it, and then I don't know. It seemed like you know, I don't know. It changed the air in the room a little bit. Mm. But you didn't relinquish your leadership role. You kept leading us through, and so it was beautiful to see what you're talking about. Like you're doing it here. Mm. Oh, thank you. I have a lot of. I'm feeling really touched. Um, admiration and love. Yeah, oh, it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, this work is I, authentic relating is such a powerful set of of tools and ideas. I really I don't know if there is a single relationship in our lives where it doesn't bring something really useful to Chris. Have you found that? I mean, is there any relationship where it's like, ah, oh, this one authentic relating tool set and ideas don't apply here? I mean, I I don't think so because it doesn't require anyone else to do anything whatsoever. Even if I just slow down and get curious about what's happening with this person, no matter what the context is, for me, that's the practice of relational awareness. They, They don't have to know I'm doing it. They don't have to participate. They don't have to go into any training course. They can be the human they are, but it's a way that, I can start to cultivate a feeling of connection 
more often with more people without a requirement coming from them. Now, if they're up for it, we can go deeper. But it's not really contingent upon that. You know, so it's both relational and personal. And the personal side is still relational, but it doesn't require the person, other person to do it. So I can tell you, I'm in a, my relationship that I'm in now, my romantic partner, it, it would not be possible without authentic relating. Mm. And it wasn't possible. It's a completely different scenario. Like the other day she said to me, this is like a, a, a move that she will pull. She'll say, uh, I'm so frustrated with you. Just like this. <laughs> and it's like the way I experienced it is she's like, I'm so frustrated with you. And we both just like look at the frustration. And then I'll say something like, what's what's going on? And then she'll share a little bit about her experience. But it's so invitational. And I don't experience it like this. You know, which I can, you know, do my best to manage, but like that. And, and she actually wants nothing to do with authentic relating. She just happens to be like, shows up in this way. But it's so spacious. It becomes so mm. spacious where she can be completely frustrated with me, but make space for the, like, there's like three of us. Myself, her, and the frustration. Mm. And on a good day, like, I'm able to do the same and get curious. And it's just opened up more space. I don't have to hold my breath in relationships anymore. So I could be the person I think they need me to be, which I can do for about two years before I need to come up for air. You know, I can actually breathe and create an environment through exhaling. Yeah, it's a game changer. Oh, that's beautiful. Audra and I took our, uh, well, the the uh, level one authentic relating, this is almost three years ago now, uh, two and a half, three years ago. And so it, it it was our introduction to authentic relating. And for a good couple of months, we we had all the language down, you know, so in that scenario, it'd be like, I'm noticing, uh, <laughs> you know, that uh, like, what, what, what was it? I, the story like, I'm making up is, <laughs> yeah, I've heard like you guys say that. <laughs> owning, owning our experience. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, but yes, but even, even just to language in, in more common is like, I, I'm frustrated with you. Even that can, can just get a little distance there. Yeah. But it was, well, how do we start after the, it was, it was like, I, yeah, I, like I'm noticing that I'm that I that I have an assumption, and this assumption is, you know, I, I am also noticing frustration with this assumption, and and um, yeah. So we had all the like really slowing down language, which which we've since lost, but uh, still that yeah. If we can just make this this third thing available for us to reflect on, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the language it's just an on ramp to it. They're like little learning structures, so I can practice. So we can practice, you know. And of course, it feels bizarre, but I think over time they fall away like a scaffold. And what really matters more is how we're being, not even the words. If if there's an openness to the how, yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, my wife and I have an on ramp. There's this one place in our house. It's like in the dining room before you hit the hallway. And it's always the place where we pop. I don't, we just found, we just identified this like a year ago. We're like, what is it about this place where we will pause after an argument and we'll put, we put hands on each other's hearts. And it's just a place where we just start to breathe and come out of the anger or the 
like the high, you know, the, the, the fast paced chicken voices, you know, like, like, like we come out of that and we come into our bodies and we're just there with each other and we can start to express in a more just, you know, present way. And so we're having a big house renovation. And the other day, right before they started demoing, she was, we were standing in that spot, you know, after a moment of, I'll tell you, renovations bring out some tension. I'm just going to warn people. And we had a moment of that coming together. And I was like, babe, this spot is not going to exist anymore in our new house. Like when they get done with the renovation, we're going to have to find another part oh, of the yeah, house to yeah. do this and you're ne- you're to authentically relate. And yeah, anyway. So yeah, I think it can, you can come to that in lots of different ways. Mm. So Chris, we are coming to the end of our, of our time together, but I do want to be sure to ask if there's anything right now that is kind of new that you're working on, anything that's kind of pushing you at your edges of just any new personal growth stuff, any new projects, just what 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 feels kind of new for you? One thing that's been new for me is I've been doing, I started doing EMDR sessions. Yes. Jenny is so, tra- trained. Yes. Mm-hmm. So probably not new to anyone in this that listens to the podcast or anyone here, but that's a modality I've never tried before. And there's, I'm very open to it. And I find uh, something happens. There's something that's happening in it. And I'm really exploring it because I have such, there's certain situations in my life where I have such an embodied trigger reaction that, that like, I, it's like, I'm realizing it's there and anything I know to have to this, like regulate myself does not seem to be working. It's like, I, I, I can't. So that's really been fertile ground for a, a type of rewiring. And what motivates this is pain and fear. That's been the greatest motivator for a lot of growth in my life. So that's been new. I've been appreciating that. Um, I'm starting to work on a course around uh, accelerating team connection and impact uh, with a colleague. And I'm really curious about that. I think these, at least in the tech world, we're, we're constantly forming new teams to handle challenges and then separating and forming new teams. So there's a lot more of this project-based stuff that comes together. And these type of practices can accelerate the connection that would normally take six months or a year for us to bump into all of our idiosyncrasies and figure things out. I'm really excited on, on focusing this, this type of stuff around that accelerating team, you know, connection and, and what competency and performance. So that's exciting for me. And the last thing is like, I love doing hot Pilates. I don't know if anyone's ever tried this. I've been teaching Bikram yoga, which is hot yoga for 20 years. But I started to do this version of uh, Pilates, which isn't with the machines, but it's a lot of core work like on the mat in a hot room with uh, disco music and dark lights and disco balls. It is the best. What? It is a 60 minute freak out of fun. <laughs> disco I balls. Wanna, oh my God. I want to put a shout out to all that. And uh, it's been a new physical fitness thing that's been a lot of fun. It allows me to take myself less seriously and and also do you know get some exercise in these are some things that are been exciting me are the are the moves synced with the music you can do that they're not specifically they're they're over a period of time so it might be for like 40 seconds on 10 seconds off okay and and i try to exercise with the beat if i'm able to 
Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I need to go a little <laughs> sub beat. <laughs> I love Just it. That's going. awesome. Uh, that's awesome. And where can listeners find out more about you and your work? They can go to authenticrelating.co. That's art international. And I do a lot of work and work very closely with art. That's a, a great way to go. Another one is they can go to C-G-R-A-Y. Uh, yep. And we'll, and we'll put these links. Excellent. We will put these links in the show notes as well. Awesome. Awesome. And so we have three just kind of rapid fire, but of course, you know, we're, we're talking with an authentic relating uh, master. So if, of course you will f- feel free to go as slow as you want. So on the first question, <laughs> if you could put a big post-it note on everyone's fridge tomorrow morning, what would it say? I think it would say, Hey, exclamation point. Our body is always truthing. Mm. Hey, your body is always truthing. Beautiful. Yeah, a little pause so I can notice what my body's been <laughs> trying to tell me that I've been missing. Yeah. Beautiful. And then uh, the is there a recent quote that has changed the way you think or feel? We live in the spaces left over from the things we avoid. Mm. Ooh, that, that who said like, that yeah some wise person <laughs> <laughs> that's really that's a good one i know i was thinking like that is some like hashtag therapy wisdom right there yeah like mm-hmm. beautiful and then the third question is what is giving you hope right now hmm. i think the biggest thing that's giving me hope is that I'm noticing with my partner that for some reason, I cherish her. I'm not attempting to make myself cherish her. I'm not using a therapy technique to cherish her. I'm discovering that this is here. Mm. And I haven't really experienced that before. Although I've tried many things over the years. So there's a real, like, I guess the hope is there's so much to discover that I don't have to try to make happen and to allow myself to open up to even more and more of that. Yeah, that's already here. Yeah, beautiful. And wants to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Chris, thank you so much. This was uh, n- nourishing, enlightening, fun. Oh, and um, yeah, I I want, I just have an intention to uh, have you back on. This is wonderful. I second that emotion. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, it's great to meet you as well. Thanks for the conversation. And Justin, it's so good to connect with you. I'm always happy and more lifted up after we connect. So what a great opportunity. Mm. Spend some more time. I feel the same. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents, so let's spread the love.